All right, welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And um, this is my second take to do this particular podcast. And the only reason why I tell you that is because I was, I had recorded the podcast and the audio went bad. But that was kind of a good thing because there was an update that I needed to throw in um, that had not happened or was in the process of happening when I recorded it, dealing with the subject matter I wanted to talk about. So that that even gave me more inspiration to talk about what I need to talk about today. So it's it's all good. Right, that it didn't work out so that um, I have some more ammunition. So the premise, well, let me just say, you know, I'm glad to see that um, the stimulus plan has been approved for the COVID relief and that people are going to get their, their checks and the other benefits that are going to go along with it. Um, you know, the schools are going to get money to make sure they, all the schools can reopen safely. Uh, make sure that the vaccine is being rolled out, cover all the expenses that needs to be for that, and making sure that everybody's getting, you know, the better child tax credits, uh, people making sure that they can have their health care benefits, even if they're not employed, making sure that they're still getting unemployment benefits, and even making sure that state budgets even though it may not totally make them whole, at least, you know, help them for the next two or three fiscal years, right? So I'm glad that went through. And I'm glad that the pace of the vaccines are accelerating. Um, so that hopefully by the end of April, everybody who wanted a vaccine can get one. Uh, what we're going to do about white Republican males, I don't know, because according to some survey, they're the ones that are resisting taking a vaccine or they indicated that they're more prone to say, no, they're not going to get a vaccine. They are who they are. Right. And we're going to we're going to kind of delve into a little bit of that, especially one in particular that has made a decided to become the spokesman for him, the new spokesman. But if they, you know, they don't want to have a vaccine for, they want to take a vaccine for COVID-19. I, I really wish that they had a vaccine for white supremacy, racism. Um, 
because that's a pandemic that has gone on in the United States for over 400 plus years and it needs to stop. Um, so what, what is pushing me? And this is not the first time you've heard me say anything about it, about white supremacy and racism. It's not going to be the last as long as it exists. But I'm really tired of particular individuals and them constantly getting a platform to do what they need to do, espouse what they need to espouse. And I'm, I'm kind of, well, I shouldn't be confused about it, but it's just kind of a, you know, just doing a little quick check of the person's background is, you know, historical, whatever. Um, I don't get how a guy who learned how to have a work work ethic you know, washing dishes, sweeping floors, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, he was lucky to have a brother-in-law that allowed him to get into business, right? With him. Um, and the father-in-law was their only customer for a long time. You know, and uh, they kept the business going long enough for somebody to buy them out. And um, made his money. I think they made like $18 million on the sale. He got to stay. Brother-in-law was out of the business. He got to stay in the business and still run it. And it became very, very profitable. So much so that he decided to run for public office off the money he made. Well, before he ran for public office, he made enough money where he could buy the company back from the people that bought it from his brother-in-law. And then he ran for public office. The only time he ever ran and he won. Um, now, the only reason why, and, and maybe it's because now that he, you know, he made it to a certain economic class, he thinks the way he thinks he's been exposed. I don't know. I mean, he's from Minnesota. He lives in Wisconsin. During the time he was growing up or whatever, he probably wasn't exposed to a lot of people of color. So maybe that's why he is what he is. Um, don't know who all he does business with or he did business with. Um, he was in the, they were in the plastics and latched on, and, you know, was doing like special plastics for medical supplies. So that created a niche, I guess, to make money. Don't know if because 
I, mean, I assume he's a part of Wisconsin that's not around a whole lot of people of color. Like he couldn't be from Milwaukee. So, you know, or Madison. Um, maybe so. I don't know. But to have that kind of mindset, that warp, he's, he had to have it. He had to be instilled with it somewhere. And the only way I can see that you can get that out is some kind of vaccine because it's it's infected him it's infected a lot of people that support him or he wants to support him it's infected a lot of people that he supports um and it's like the process of education and the process of uh admonishment it's not really working with this dude as a matter of fact he went so far as to say that in a wall street journal piece that he will not be silenced right so for those of you who follow the news and most of you who are listening to my podcast, kind of have an idea who this person is I'm talking about. Now I'm going to say his name. And I'm going to say this before I say his name. And this is kind of a disclaimer about the podcast, right? So if you're offended by what I say, okay. If you have some criticism about what I say, okay. If you want to respond in some kind of way about what I say on my podcast, whether it's today or any other podcast you may have heard, that's great. So before I call the individual by name, let me just address people like him. So because it's a whole nother issue that we'll get into soon. Um, the First Amendment allows you to say what you want to say, right? First Amendment allows you to practice the religion that you want to practice. If you want to assemble, you have the right to do that peaceably, peaceably, right? Uh, or peacefully. I like to say that rather than peaceably because, yeah, but peacefully, you have a right to assemble. And you have the right to speak as long as you do no harm when you speak, right? So when you say do no harm, the, the example that a lot of people like to use, I think Oliver Wendell Holmes used it. And, you know, it's based off of a true event. When a fire that happened in Chicago at a Chicago theater, Iroquois theater, I, I keep wanting to say 1902, but it was either 1902, 1904, 
somewhere in that period, theater caught on fire or, or the, or, you know, but it wasn't like a raging fire from what I understand. It may have been smoke or whatever. And somebody yelled fire and people just ran out in a panic and more people died being trampled than actually any kind of fire related injury, right? And so that example is always used as far as when is free speech not okay, right? You don't yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, and so when you use speech like the previous president did on January the 6th and the days, months leading up to that and, and what you say invokes an action like the insurrection that showed up on the Capitol steps on January the 6th. That's not free speech at that point. That's not protected. You've said it and you thought you were free enough to say it, but it's not protected. And he will find that out. I mean, if, if it was protected, then he wouldn't have been impeached. Right. And he got impeached more so not just because of what he said to them, but what he did afterwards, which was nothing to stop it. Because you had a platform. You had the platform to get them fired up. So you had the same platform to calm them down. He didn't use that. So he got impeached. And uh, one of my favorite phrases of all time is with great great power comes great responsibility, right? So that freedom of speech, you need to be responsible with that, right? Now, having said all that, the individual I'm talking about is Ron Johnson. He's the U.S. Senator from the state of Wisconsin. First time, like you said, he spent his personal money, got elected, he beat an incumbent U.S. Senator. He got 52% of the vote. Six years later, he barely got 50. Running against the same guy he just beat six years later. And probably if he runs, he won't make it because he's the only Republican that's elected statewide in Wisconsin now. That whole thing has really, really changed because the people of Wisconsin, I, I believe, have realized the guy that they have in the office and what he really is. And for those who don't get what he really is, including himself, he's a racist. Why do I say he's a racist? So he gets on a radio show 
and he says that he wasn't worried about the 35,000 people that showed up with violent intentions to disrupt a constitutional process, the smooth transition, the peaceful transition of power and all that at the U.S. Capitol. He wasn't worried about them. He didn't feel threatened by those people. But he said, and he prefaced what he said by saying, I may get in trouble for saying this. So he meant what he said. He said, had Trump won re-election and 35,000 black people, Black Lives Matter people, and he kind of throws in Antifa, right? Um, He said, but 35,000, basically said, if 35,000 black people showed up to protest the results of the election, he'd be worried, he'd be scared. Right, And I'm going to add more words to that. He'd be terrified. He'd be shocked. He'd be appalled. He'd be offended if 35,000 black people showed up. Right? But the 35,000 white people that actually did show up and tore up the Capitol and when it was all said and done, 140 police officers were injured. And among those 140, five of them died. One of them laid in state in the very Capitol building where the insurrection took place and where Senator Johnson works. As if that wasn't a reminder. Right? But He'd be cool with that. So he wants to flip it around. And and first of all, he said he knew he would be in trouble. But then after that, he said, I don't know why people would think that I'm a racist because of what I said. What kind of trouble do you think you were going to get in if you didn't understand the race cards you were playing? Right? So that makes me question your intelligence. But anybody who is blatantly racist in America, I question their intelligence anyway, because they don't understand basic survival skills at this point. You're outnumbered. Only 31% of the population is white males like Mr. Johnson, 31%. So you're outnumbered. At some point, You might want to look at survival and trying to get along with the majority of the country because this might be in your best interest not to try to blame them, but we'll get into that a little more. I just... He's a racist. And then he gets in, he, he writes an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in which he repeats the fact that he felt more comfortable 
and he did not feel threatened with the 35,000 people that showed up. But if Black Lives Matter protesters, black people showed up, he'd be he'd be worried. He would have been like, "Uh oh, somebody do something. But not the people that actually did something, right? So that's not racist. What is it? And so his argument, his closing argument was that um, he he thinks that it's this glorious argument of the left to silence him. Yet, every time he shows up, there's a microphone in his face. So if they wanted you to be silent, why would they interview you? The Wall Street Journal allowed you to write an op-ed to clarify why you said what you said. And you basically admitted that you're a racist when you said that, when you had your opportunity. So I, I do want you to be silenced. I'm not going to deny that I don't want you to be silenced, but it's because you're racist, not because you're a Republican, right? So I'll delve into that because some people are like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, I should. And I'll, and I explain to y'all on the other side. And so we're back. So when I left you, then before the break, I was saying that, yeah, I want to silence racists like Ron Johnson, not because they're Republican, but because they're racist, right? And I really wish that science can come up with a vaccine to get that racist white supremacist mindset out of the minds of people, right? They get it out of their system so they can't spread it. So they can't indoctrinate no other child that is white with that mindset anymore. Right. Because I know it's, it's more than just white males. It's and it's more than just white males who are low income and all that. It's white males that want to believe this stuff, that want to buy into all of this. Right. So let's just play with Ron Johnson's theory for a moment, right? Let's get personal with him. He says that he's not a racist, okay? So my question to you is, why do you base your political capital on racism, right? If you're not a racist, why do you try to appease people who are to vote for you? Why do you need their votes? As far as I'm concerned, as a politician, as somebody who has run for office, I don't need people who are racist to vote for me. I don't want them. I'm not going to cater to them. I'm not going to hate other people just so I can get elected. I'm not going to say things 
that are offensive to other people so I can get elected. I'm not going to do that, at least not deliberately. Right now, you or your others may be offended by what I'm saying right now. That's fine. But I'm not trying to appease you. I'm not trying to get you to support me because your very actions are against me even existing, let alone being in public office. So why would I cater to you? Why would I even cater to a party that wants to cater to you? Why would I want to support a candidate that wants to cater to you? I'm not. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I don't want to hear. I don't want you to get comfortable like you were in 1914 and you were marching with your hoods and your gowns and strolling down Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't ever want you to feel comfortable like that. I don't want you to feel comfortable to have a movie that depicts racism being played in the White House ever again. I don't ever want you to be that comfortable. I don't want you to feel open enough where you could burn crosses in people's yards and terrorize them because of the color of their skin and all they want to do is vote. I don't want you to be that comfortable. I don't want to hear what you got to say because I've heard enough. Now, just because I don't want to hear it doesn't mean you don't have the right to say it. And there will be plenty of outlets like the Wall Street Journal and Fox News and Newsmax and whatever else is being created out there that will give you all the platform you want. You can even go on CNN. You can even go on CBS, NBC, and ABC. MSNBC will invite you, but why? Because you're not going to come. And you don't want that as the, the popular phrase going around right now, the clap back, right? I mean, it's an old phrase, but it's, gotten some new flavor lately. You don't want that smoke, right? You don't want people to push back on you. And so you come up with this, oh, they're trying to silence me. No, they're not trying to silence you. They really just trying to challenge you. I personally want you to be silenced, right? I want every one of those 35,000 people that you, Johnson, are comfortable with in jail. I don't care if you have to build a new supermax just for them. I don't care if you have to send them to Guantanamo Bay. But they all need to be in jail. All of them. Because they committed an act of sedition. They formed an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The only time that has ever happened in our lifetime. The first time it has happened since the War of 1812. And they were from another country. So we've never had American citizens. The closest we've ever came to a threat to the U.S. Capitol like that, other than some lone gunmen, you know, unfortunately killing Capitol Police officers was right after 9-11. And a lot of people have forgotten about that, right? But right after 9-11, people were scared that they were going to see something like that, right? They were scared they were going to see armies of whoever, Muslims, whoever, showing up and, and we were going to be fighting in the streets because they were bold enough to fly planes in the buildings, killing thousands of people. 
So what actually did happen was that postal workers started dying trying to, in the D.C. area and trying to figure out why that was. It's because they were handling mail that had anthrax on them. That's the reason why now, Senator Johnson, you can't get direct mail from your constituents if you had forgotten. They have to go through a special process. They've created a whole new receiving station just for members of Congress and government to make sure that there's no anthrax or anything explosive or anything that could be harmful to you that would come through the mail. That happened right after 9-11. And so that was really the, the closest threat. Other than the fact that we don't know where that plane in Pennsylvania was heading, right? The one that the passengers took down. We don't know, was it going to the Capitol building or to the White House? We knew it was heading to D.C., if it wasn't for those brave people on the plane that gave their lives to make sure that that plane did not attack. That the terrorists did not win that one. Right? Or else we would have been talking about that. So we avoided all of that. But 35,000 people that you, Mr. Johnson, are comfortable with that you feel are patriotic, God-fearing, law-abiding Americans. And, and the idiotic thing is that you are saying that after you saw what happened. You were there. You were in the building. They were coming for you. And of course, you don't believe that because you you weren't threatened by them. But they were coming for you. If you had that lapel on and they saw you, you would have been toast. We would have been laying you in state at the Capitol in Madison and at the Capitol of the United States. They had gotten to Mike Pence. They had gotten to Nancy Pelosi. They had gotten to anybody. That's why they told members of Congress, take your pins off. Just in case you get lost from the police escorts. So you wouldn't be easily identified. But I would love to hear your account of what happened that day since you weren't threatened. And you saw all your colleagues being rushed off of the floor of the Senate. I would love to have just, just, I would like for you to just write a diary of how glorious that day was. And as the people were banging through the windows and the doors and officers were being crushed and bear sprayed, I just love to hear your depiction of how heartwarming and, and family oriented that was. As opposed to the sheer terror that you felt when you saw a protest that happened in Kenosha, I think that's the thing that got you really upset in Minneapolis because you're from Minnesota. I think those are the two out of all the demonstrations that happened, right? Never mind the fact that the president of the United States 
bum rushed a bunch of peaceful protesters to Lafayette Park just so he could take a picture in front of a church holding the Bible upside down. Out of all the Black Lives Matter protests, that might have been the most violent one. Trump for a photo op. But I digress. Well, no, I don't digress because let me let me delve and let me let me go really there with you. Right. So the 35,000 people that you're comfortable with that showed up at the Capitol building were upset because somebody they voted for didn't win an election. And their whole purpose was to. In lighthearted terms like you like to use throw a monkey wrench into the process of confirming that that election, the the election results, right? Of the election that took place, that free and fair election that you still don't quite get, right? And so that was the gist of the anger that the person they voted for did not win. Now, let's go back four years, right? We go back four years. People were upset that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton, especially women. So they organized a march and literally hundreds of thousands of people, not just in D.C., but throughout the planet, protested that Donald Trump won the election. Not one government building was destroyed in six continents where these protests took place. Yes, they had protests in China and Japan. In the six continents that these protests took place, not one government building was destroyed, not one. And we're talking to just in D.C. alone, there may have been easily 400,000 women. Not one of them went to the Capitol building with a flagpole and smashed a window, not one. I would dare say that more people showed up for that protest of the election in 2017 than actually showed up for the inauguration, I guess, the day before. And it was about as cold, right? But not one government building in any state was damaged, in any continent was damaged. But 35,000 people showed up at a rally in DC and the president spoke to them along with other dignitaries. And eight hours later, the United States Capitol has fencing and National Guard troops surrounding it to this day. which y'all are not happy about either. I understand, right? So, but you may have been comfortable with those women because a lot of them were white women. So I ain't really heard you say nothing about that, but 
last summer, those Black Lives Matter protesters, those those folks who were out in the streets. And I'm not going to be, you know, in denial like you and say that no violence happened, right? You know, whether it was somebody that was planted in there, as videotape is shown in a couple of them, or, you know, just typical behavior when things get out of control and people burn and loot businesses. That happened, right? I think I saw people in Atlanta, they they tore up the entrance of CNN. They defaced the property with spray paint. I saw all that. And I'm not saying that it was okay to riot, but let's let's deal with reason, right? Let's deal with background. Again. The 35,000 people that you're cool with that showed up at the Capitol building were mad because of the election. The thousands of people that protested during that summer were mad because a police officer put his foot or his knee on the neck of a man who was not a threat to anyone for nearly nine minutes and literally killed him literally forced that breath away from him. He died. Another situation where the police show up at the wrong house. Oh, by the way, that situation that happened to the, the, the black guy that got in the nine minutes, basically had the breath taken out of him, that was in your beloved Minnesota, by the way. And in Minneapolis, right? place where you were offended that they protested, right? The same in Louisville, Kentucky, where a, a young woman who sleep with her boyfriend, fiance, because the police show up in the wrong house, start shooting, she's dead. And those two events happened literally like within days. Right. That's what those folks were protesting for. They were protesting because for years and years and years, people have been brutal, brutalized and killed by people who are supposed to protect them, the police. And so people were tired of being killed and brutalized and they took to the streets. They did not want anything else to happen. They were praying that nothing else would happen for the rest of the year. If they took to the streets and protested and said enough is enough, the same that they did in 2014. And all the years kind of leading up to that, anytime that there's been a, a death by the hands of the police, people have taken to the streets, they have protested. And just for the record, because I know a lot of people who take Johnson's side say, well, why don't y'all say that? In Chicago, there were black women, and I've talked about it on this podcast, there were black women and, and black men that had gathered every weekend to protest the killings in Chicago of black folks killing other black people. 
until they got shot or shot at. So people have been protesting killings all all this time. But especially last summer, they were talking about lives being, that's why they say Black Lives Matter, because they want you to understand that Black lives should matter enough to the people who are supposed to enforce the laws that they shouldn't kill them. That is a reminder that the responsibility of being a police officer is understanding that when you make a mistake, people can die. And that you shouldn't make a mistake, right? And and to be honest, Senator Johnson, if I'm not comfortable with you being in the United States Senate. You want to talk about comfort. I'm not comfortable with you or anybody like you in the United States Congress. There's a bunch of people like you on the House side. But I'm totally uncomfortable with you. And no black member of the of the Congress should be comfortable with your presence. I would not be surprised if a member of Congress said in a committee meeting that I feel threatened because you, Senator Johnson, are in the room. That's how much of a problem what you said is. I shouldn't be comfortable with people who straddle black men and shoot them in the chest that are unarmed. I am not comfortable with people that wear badges and they're shaking their guns in front of people. They're shaking because they're nervous. Their anxiety level's high. They can't control themselves. And a black man gets killed for no reason. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with officers using illegal chokeholds to kill people. I'm not comfortable with former police officers still thinking that they are police officers shooting black men that are jogging. And I wear a badge. But because of my training and my knowledge and my experience and my comprehension of all those things and my character, you won't see me doing that. If I have to go to that extreme where a life has to be taken, it will be strictly by policy and procedure. It will not be because I'm affiliated with some group that secretly doesn't like black people or other people of color. So I'm not comfortable with people. And and neither was the chief of police in Philadelphia when she found out that some of her officers were like that and she fired them. But you would invite them to your house because you speak their language. So just like I was with the representative from Georgia who got, you know, her committee assignment stripped away. And I basically said, yeah, the grass is not green on the other side. Let her be who she is. And hopefully the people in the 14th district will want a congressperson that actually can, you know, be a fully functioning con- congresswoman or congressman. People of Wisconsin need to send you back to your plastics business. Let you live your full racist life, right? Oh, by the way, the other reason why I really want this vaccine, because the Russians 
seem to understand our political divisions better than the people that are elected. And so they play on that, right? And so for the second straight presidential election, they have used social media and operatives and everything else to play on the racism that Senator Johnson and others espouse to divide the American electorate. They thought that it worked since it worked in 2016, they'll try it again in 2020. It did not work this time because thank goodness for the pandemic, we had justification to open the process to make it easier for people to vote. And when people showed up, they rejected. Now, there were a lot of people that believed in what you believe and they showed up too. But God is good. And the majority of the people who showed up rejected that racist notion, rejected that kind of government that was irresponsible and reckless. They rejected that. And, and I have tried to appeal to you and your Republican colleagues that you need to heed that message and cut your ties with the guy that did that. He obviously wants to cut his ties with you all because when the Republican National Committee put out fundraisers with his name, he basically tried to file a lawsuit and said, you can't use his name. But you still want to embrace him. You still want to embrace the people that worship him. You still want to embrace the people who should have been left out in the wool in the in the woods with George Wallace and them in the 1960s, early 70s. You should have left them alone and let them twist and die under wind. But to be honest, you came up through that because you were a Tea Party dude, Mr. Johnson. And the Tea Party said, oh yeah, we're we're against all this government spending. No, you weren't. You were against the fact that a black man got elected president. We know that. History has proven that. And you came up through their ranks. So we know who you are, sir. You can look in the mirror and deny it all you want to, but we see you for who you are. And we see the people of your ilk for who they are. I don't know why y'all feel emboldened to say what you want to say and think there should be no repercussions for you. But freedom of speech works two ways, sir. You can say all the racist stuff you wanna say and I have the right to tell you where you can go and how to get there. I do. And I have a platform to do that. Doesn't matter if I'm heard by five people or five billion. I have a platform and I'm going to tell you how I feel. Every citizen has a platform. That's why you have email addresses, right? So they can respond to you. That's why y'all jump on Twitter, right? Your staff runs that or whatever. It's great. That's that freedom, right? But I really wish that there was some way that we could stop that, that we could just stop this racist white supremacist mentality that that is that our foreign enemies are using against us
So let me just say this. Racism is not only just a bad thing, okay? Like they used to say on South Park. It's, it's not just a bad thing. It's a threat to national security. You saying that you are more comfortable with white people tearing up the very building that you work in and the very going after your colleagues. You are comfortable with them killing police officers than you are with the people who were protesting the police killing them because they were black. That's racist, Senator Johnson, and everybody else that needs it. That's racist, period. End of story. Either you admit to it or you don't. If you don't admit to it, that's your loss because only you can recognize your problem and fix it. Somebody said, I really wish that white people will deal with systematic racism instead of just having empathy for black people having to deal with systematic racism, right? It's, it's, it's a white person's problem that you feel that you're supreme over other races. It's a white person's problem that you feel as though that you deny opportunities and you create institutions to make it hard for people of color to coexist with you and use the same rights that they are entitled to that you have, right? Y'all need to fix that. And if you can't fix it, as a society, then and as individuals even, then maybe we need to find some scientists that can fix it and create a vaccine and inoculate you and, and get that out of your system because it's got to go. When we have the intelligence community saying that as a threat to national security about racism, it's got to stop. So I'm going to just leave you with this, Senator Johnson. You're a racist and you're a threat to national security at this point. And I hope that the people of Wisconsin send you home or you have the temerity not to run ever again. Because we can't afford that anymore. America cannot afford racism anymore. We have nearly morally bankrupted this country that could be as great as it is. It could be so much greater. It could be such a perfect union, not just a more perfect union, a perfect union. If we could just get rid of this white supremacy and racism. Until next time.